0: Verse 6, chapter 1, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above. It was so. God called the expanse sky. There was evening and there was morning, a second day. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. It was so. God called the ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. You'll, you'll see that th- repetition of some of these words throughout the uh, days of creation. And we'll handle many days of creation in the next sermon. But we're not going to get too far into that in this single sermon here. But you'll see... God naming something after he has given it a function, a purpose. And then you'll see God looking at it and say, that's good. I'll have more comments on that in the next sermon. I just want to draw your attention to how you will see this repeated in uh, the account of the creation. And God said, let the land produce vegetation. Plants yielding seeds according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed." in it according to their kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and the trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was what? Good. There was evening, and there was morning. That was the third day. Now, you've got to get inside the mind of the ancients to really appreciate everything that is being said and the true message that Moses is trying to convey in this creation narrative. But we have typically read this with uh, an effort to try and align this with Science as we understand it and in my very first sermon in this I made the statement that Moses did not intend to write a science textbook So in order to understand what Moses is saying and what he's trying to convey to his readers the ancients Let's start off With trying to get inside their mind and what would they have understood in reading this first? Understand how differently the ancients understood reality as opposed to how we understand and explain reality. For us, science has become the widely accepted gold standard of truth and reality. Whether that's for better or for worse, it just nevertheless has become that that standard for us. We are hard-pressed to accept theories and tales that don't seem to be scientifically plausible. People often try to read the creation count as, as crude scientific uh, as a crude scientific account because it's just our culture to try and seek science behind the facts somebody makes an outlandish claim like I talk warts off people or I happen to have a pill that you add to water that makes it burn in your car like gasoline, we appeal to science for reality, don't we? There was a men's group in the church that I uh, pastored in California that before I got there, they had a presentation from a local representative who was representing a company owned, operated by a man named Dennis Lee. Now remember that name. Don't ever forget that name. Don't ever buy anything from Dennis Lee. So the representative of Dennis Lee had come to my men's group before I became pastor there, and they were selling the perpetual free energy machine. Now, those of you who have any scientific background, I've already dismissed that as totally ridiculous. But that that piques the interest of a lot of people. Free, in, free energy? Free energy? Well, yeah. He had this free energy machine that supposedly, in simple terms, it's a little more complicated than this, but in simple terms, he will set this machine, give you this machine, and set it in your yard, you plug it into your house, and it generates more electricity than it consumes, and you sell the electricity back to the electric company and therefore you get to keep and use the free energy he gets the profits from selling the energy back. And so he envisions a million of these machines sitting in people's backyards. Now you understand when, when you're talking about plug a machine in and it produces more than it consumes, that you are violating the laws of thermodynamics. You, you realize you're violating the second law, you, entropy, which means there is an inevitable loss of energy when you're converting energy to mechanical action that you cannot recoup, that it's a complete, complete uh, uh, denial of scientific laws, like the law of gravity. I don't care what you tell me, gravity is. And this guy is selling this hokey stuff, and my men, many of them, had already bought into it. And the man who was giving the sales pitch had invested fifteen thousand dollars in having the local distributorship. Because if you wasn't interested in his free energy machine, you could find you could also buy the miracle laundry balls with a little blue liquid in it. You throw it in your laundry machine, and it keeps your clothes clean from now on without any soap. And see, we appeal to reality through what we understand to be scientifically plausible. Now that's enough about us. That's not how the Jewish mind worked. If they appealed to anything, they appealed to mythology. Mythology was taking the place of what science does for us. They wanted to explain reality through the mythological stories. So if they wanted to understand uh, Lightning, thunder, volcanoes, things that happened. There was a mythological story, typically somewhere behind that, said, here's the reason that this is. And they appealed to those mythological stories to prove reality. Everything was explained as having a purpose because, mythologically, the gods willed it to be so. They didn't know anything about how our solar system functioned. They didn't know anything about science. There was, they didn't know anything about botany, biology, zoology, astronomy, geology. Those things had not been discovered. But they operated on the basis of what purpose is this? If there was a volcano that exploded, there was some sort of an understanding behind that. The gods must really be mad at us. There's a purpose for this volcano. God is punishing us. Now, to understand how they didn't think in scientific terms, that in itself ought to tell you Moses did not write this to be a scientific treatise. His readers wouldn't have been a bit interested. In science, they didn't But they were interested, what's the purpose behind all this? That's the reason Moses wrote this, is to demonstrate the real, true, biblical, godly purpose for creation. Because they were getting all kinds of false answers from the community around them of talking about their mythological gods and why they had purposes in what existed. But Moses is giving the truth in this. Now, this, this culture that was not science-minded... They related all of the faculties of their understanding and their emotions to the heart. That's what they felt was the the, the seat of everything they could know and everything they could feel. This is interesting because the fact is in that culture, in uh, the Hebrew language, do you realize there wasn't even a word for brain? They didn't talk about it. They, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand, like we understand, because science has revealed to us, that the brain's real important. Now, if you go to the Egyptian culture, they as well dismissed the brain. As a matter of fact, in Egyptian culture, whenever they would embalm, mummify somebody, you know what the mummification process was? It was preserving the vital, important parts of the body that could be used in some afterlife somewhere. That's the reason these things are so carefully preserved. But interestingly enough, as they preserved the body, what they did, hold on to your seats... They, they took a wire and, and set a hook up the nostrils and, and pulled the brains out because that was trash. You're not going to need that in the next life. Don't know why you need it in this life. I heard that. She said, many don't use it anyway. <laughs> They've already had the hook, I guess. See, this was the crude, scientifically illiterate culture Whose most sophisticated method of explaining reality was just to point to the gods. Why is this so? Because the gods willed it to be to express their pleasure or to express to express their anger or just to mess with man and Moses, not attempting to give this scientific explanation for creation now points to the Creator and demonstrates the characteristics of the Creator to this very confused world who doesn't understand Him. They dismissed Him a long time ago. Adam and Eve knew Him, but it was lost as they veered off into other explanations for the reality around them. And, and, and here's another reason that we can understand Moses wasn't making a scientific statement. Because he would have then had to use terminology that was uh, available scientifically in that culture. And as we know, science continues to progress. And things that science once believed, they now dismiss. So if you try to express things in scientific terms, even from a hundred years ago. You've probably used terminology or, or expressed un- scientific understandings that has long been discovered to not be true. Well, for instance, ancient doctors used to drill a, uh, peel back the scalp and drill a hole in the skull to let the pressure out to get rid of headaches. Then they'd, then they'd sew that flap back on and you've got this perpetual hole but you'll never have another headache because you're letting off steam all the time. They discovered that didn't solve headaches. How many of you know already? Barbers used to practice bloodletting. you you aware of that? You didn't go to the barber just to get your hair cut, you went down, down to get rid of all the excess blood because it's too much blood's bad for you. So the barbers are going to take the blood from you. They discovered that wasn't true either. Thankfully. Did you know grandma and grandpa used to take turpentine orally? They thought it was good for what ails you. Drinking poison. How many of you remember or have heard about, I'm not accusing you of being this old, but you you heard about what they called soothing syrup that they gave to cranky babies. Did you know that was 65% morphine? No wonder the babies calmed down. And as recently as the 1950s, lobotomies were practiced on mental patients where they just rammed a sharp object up into the brain and swirled it around until they were able to disconnect uh, the frontal cortex from the rest of the brain and uh, supposedly solve the erratic behavior of these people. Seventy years ago. You you see how science changes? And if Moses had put creation in scientific terms then, it would have become obsolete quickly. But what is written is eternally relevant. That God is the source of creation. That God had purpose in everything he did in creation. That doesn't go out of style with the passing of time. Now... Basically, we we are taught to think about structure first, and then purpose second. Through the wonders of the theory of evolution. I don't want to confuse you with what I'm saying. Evolution says structure came first, it found purpose next. There was a world, atmosphere, water, minerals, before there was... Ever man by the evolution evolutionary theory and then when man finally came along in the passing of time man found a purpose for these things so we have been influenced by our culture to think structure first purpose second that's the reason we collide from the Christian perspective with this theory of evolution. Because we start off with a God who has purpose first before he puts anything into existence. He didn't just create things. And later on somebody discovered, well look how this wood works real well for shaping. We can make all kinds of things out of this wood. Look how these, this vegetation happens to be edible. God created it all with a purpose and knew ahead of time. How functional these things would be. We see purpose first. A plan, a designer, an intentional creator. Evolutionists play the odds, believing that randomness in the cosmos caused things just to happen. And by that theory, things just happen. You have one planet, in the entire universe that we know of, where all of the elements necessary to sustain life just happen to come together in unison. With perfect temperatures, perfect balance of life-sustaining gases, perfect conditions of gravity, perfect blend of light and temperatures, perfect presence of chemicals to produce a one in a billion, 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 billion chance of creating a spark of life that just happened to split into multiple single cell amoebas, which just happened to survive long enough to begin the billion year journey of growing into humans. And all of that is just chance. And can anybody even fathom that without an intelligent designer, absence of any intelligent creator, guide that these things can just possibly happen by circumstance and call that science? Yet we are condemned and accused of being antiquated thinkers if we don't buy into this theory of evolution. Yet we point back to the book of Genesis and we see there is a intentional creator Who didn't mess around with primordial ooze and single-celled amoebas. Who brought things into existence. Who spoke vegetation into existence. Who separated the land from the seas. Who separated the, uh, the waters on the earth from the waters in the sky. Who had purpose and design in everything that he did. And all I have to do is believe there is an, in, uh, an intelligent designer, a creator. And I'm the one that's crazy? Theistic approach sees God as the intelligent designer that created everything with a purpose. Dr. John Walton had this to say. The diabolical nature of evolutionism is not to be found first and foremost in its claim that things came into existence in a randomly generated sequence through mutation and natural selection. But rather in the insidious way that it strips the cosmos and everything of its purpose. That is the heinousness of evolution. By evolution, nothing has purpose. You don't have a purpose. You are an accident. But theistically speaking, we understand you are created lovingly, fearfully made by God. You have purpose. Evolution doesn't cover that. Can't even approach it. So on day one, God separates light from darkness and calls the light day and the darkness night. As we said, time begins as man reckons time. And now we have a means of measuring the passing of time for the remainder of the creation narrative. Day two, God separates the waters of the earth from the atmospheric waters by putting space between them. And he called the firmament, or the expanse, the vault, the space between the two, heaven or sky... King James Version says heaven. Many other versions call it sky. In the limited understanding of the ancients. They believed the firmament. The sky, the heaven to be a solid globe. The blue sky was thought to be solid. You could literally touch it. But the point of the language. Is not to make it a scientific analysis of heaven. But to show that God established a particular function for his creation. So we can get so hung up on trying to understand scientifically what is Moses trying to say to this, or we can get right down to business and say, what is Moses trying to tell us about God? And he had a purpose in establishing this this cycle of rain and evaporation. He was preparing a place that we could survive. Day 3, God caused the dry land to appear, leaving freshwater rivers, lakes, etc. streams to dump into the oceans. He called the dry ground land and the water seas. And this on day 3 is the first time Moses uses the phrase and God saw it and said it was good, like the artist. He puts the finish and touches on it and looks at it and admires his own work and goes, It's good. I like it. So, the first three days of creation, notice this they embody the three fundamental functions. That God brought into operation to serve as foundations for all the rest of creation. It is definitely logically sequential. In other words, here's what I'm saying. The first three days, God brought agriculture, weather, and time as the fundamental foundation upon which everything else then would ensue. That's precisely what God referenced in the 8th chapter of Genesis, verse 22. When after the flood, he said, I promise I will never flood the earth again. And said, as long as the earth endures. Seed time, harvest. Cold and heat, summer and winter, weather. And day and night, time will never cease. The first three things God put in order. Then after the flood, he said we might have to reset some things. We might have to cleanse the earth for a few things. But the three foundational things will never pass away. Agriculture, weather, time. Now has it dawned on anybody yet? It just so happens those three things you don't have any say over. They are completely under God's control and management. In spite of the fact that the arrogance of man today suggests that he thinks he can get control of these things. It is sinful arrogance for man to even dream he could possibly do that. As a believer, I am compelled to take this promise of God into account in this modern world. When our evolutionism inspired culture has developed this king-sized chip on their shoulder. And they've come to believe they are masters of their own destiny. We're living in an age that thinks they don't need any God anymore. And they don't recognize any God anymore. And I will have more to say about that in my next sermon. In what does it mean to be in a world without God. But let me just say for the sake of this sermon today. That core belief that they don't need God. They don't want God. They can get by without God that they are the masters of their own destiny, they can shape this world to their own needs, has led them to believe they are more powerful and influential than in reality they are. They're preaching this new message of ownership of the earth. Not just stewardship, but ownership and mastership of the world. It's a vulgar arrogance that Climate change activists think they can actually turn the climate. Now, it's more than that. It's not just being a good steward of this planet. It's coming to believe that we people... Looking around and watching the ebb and flow of weather and, and conditions around the world. And, and having the ability through, through uh, uh, satellite imagery to see things we've never seen before. To look down on this world from space and see the, and measure the size of ice caps. Uh, and the boundaries of the water and the land and see And, and, and to watch this, this has, been, this has been going on for how many years now? at least for 63, and I think it's been going on for millions. Things have been moving and changing, and suddenly man gets up and takes a look at this and sees things happening and says, look what we've done. And it's, like the, it's, kind of, it's kind of stupidity, like the man, the minute that New York had that famous blackout, he, had a, he pitched a fit and went over and kicked a utility pole and the lights went out and he thought he did it. A man to look around and see what's going on in this world and say, look what we're doing to our planet. Let's reverse this process. There's an arrogance here. There's a vulgar arrogance here. God said, as long as time goes on, as long, for the rest, for the rest of forever here on earth, there will always be agriculture, there will always be time, and there will always be seasons. Now you might be able to... Uh, Slightly modify, slightly budge something. But the arrogance goes beyond what little tiny microscopic influence we might have. And goes into dreaming of this perfect world. That we through our intelligence and our influence can, can create this, this world. Where it will be perfect if we can just get everybody on the same page. We've got the scientific they think. The scientific knowledge and power to be able to fix this world. Vegetation will continue to cover the earth in places where man has no control or influence. It's not up to him. Weather does whatever it wants. Man's helpless to control it. If man could control the weather, he would have stopped Harvey. He would have stopped Irma. He can't do it. It's out of our control. Oddly enough, some firmly believe that we are on the cusp of being able to harness the weather with strategic deployment of nuclear bombs. You go out and set these things and you change weather pattern. Now, you might wa- wipe out civilization as we know it, but we've got the weather under control. And concerning controlling time, we are... Uh, A special generation that have seen the advent of cloning. Interesting thing about cloning is. uh, One man said. I've met a lot of people. Who wish. They could be cloned. He said I haven't met the first person yet. That wishes they were a clone. But cloning. Holds out promises. Promises. The cloning process. And I don't want to say cloning. You're thinking of another you. having developed and, and walking around. This world has enough of me. There's a process in the whole cloning world. That promises with that technology. To do some wonderful things. Cure, to, to, re, to reverse damage of heart attacks. They foresee. To cure Alzheimer's. To prevent aging. You you know what that is? Prevent aging. That is man's arrogant attempt. To control what? Time. You can't control the weather. You certainly can't get control of agriculture. Around the world. And you can't control time. It's all in God's arena. Not in man's hand. And all of these things add up to one thing is we're trying to get to a place where we are so independent we don't even need a concept of a God. Let's dismiss that too. We got it under control. We're masters of our own destiny. How sinful. How arrogant. But you can't ignore two vital truths as Moses brings out in the creation story. Number one, God is... He says very clearly, is the creator. And number two, he is in control. We can't pretend we're God. We can't take his responsibilities. It doesn't mean modern technology has has not enabled us to have somewhat of an influence or control over certain portions of agriculture. Or to build shelters to protect us from the weather. But it means when these powers raise their ugly heads, they prove to be thousands and millions of times more powerful than we ever dreamed we could possibly be. But they want to dismiss God from the conversation. We don't need him in the picture, they say. We can fix our own problems. We can take over control of these creational functions. And we can, we can control the time, and we can reverse time, and we can live forever. You can't. Live without God. And if there's one dominant message in this passage today that I want to extract for you, it's that creation was not an accident. It was intentional. It was the methodical product of God. If all of creation were the result of randomness, unguided evolutionary development, humans would certainly be justified in trying to get to the top of the heap. We're just another evolutionary creature or thing. Why not everybody vie for being the king of the hill? But since it's not an evolutionary process, we have somebody that we have to bow to, somebody we have to recognize, and that somebody is God. Sophisticated technology will never make us into God. It will never give us the powers of God. I remember watching a movie narrated by Orson Welles called Future Shock. And it started off showing uh, a a man-made diaphragm, torso, a man-made torso lying on a table, and it was breathing on its own. That was back in the 70s. And they were looking forward to the ability to be able to create hearts that work on their own and the other organs that work on their own. And, of course, eventually all of this dreaming about the future gave way to the cloning process. How many of you remember Dolly the sheep? As they produced this sheep as a result of the cloning process. And then Dolly lived six years and died of uh, arthritis and uh, uh, lung congestion. Uh, Man hasn't perfected producing life yet. They envision the day of reproducing human beings so many of our modern scientific technologies are just on the cusp of that very thing. Things that we don't think a lot about. Things that we don't find any perhaps even consider any moral component or or, uh, implication to it. Uh, In vitro fertilization. uh, uh, Laboratory fertilization and all these things that are leading up but it's all leading somewhere into where eventually man wants to be able, just to be able to take it upon himself to create a human being. And the crowning moment of all creation that we haven't gotten to yet was when God created man and woman. And and, What's the height of arrogance? For man to say, I want to do that too. And when man begins to create beings, who becomes God? Who becomes their creator? And what do you do with these creatures that are running around? How do you deal with a culture that has no official mother or father? When you have no biological heritage like God had designed us to have. But Moses points to God. The biggest danger anybody faces is trying to live life as if there is no God. If you read it correctly... The creation account is very humbling. We should read the creation account and not try and figure out how it relates to scientific revelations we know today, but we should read the creation account and go away in awe of the creator. Like the psalmist who must have caught one of those particularly Brilliant pictures of the night sky and the dazzling stars and the, the moon stretching from sky to sky when I consider the heavens, the handiwork of your hands, and see all this majesty around. Who is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I in all of this creation that you care about me? That I call on you and you hear me and you answer, who am I? That's what the creation story should do for us. Compel us to give him the honor and the respect he deserves, worship team come.